digger here and ain't no wannabes here with some not so nice advice for your writing career to be clear no punches will be pulled but the punch may be spiked how they like before they get on the mic to my left we got the mighty Mer Lafferty and if I piss her off believe me she'll come after me and her co-host Matt Evan Wallace on the right yes she may be half as hype as she could take him in a fight so settle in folks buckle in and boot up time to meddle in a way to make your writer shut up it's hard work but the perk is that it's fun and exciting Facebook will still be there when you're done writing Ditch Diggers! So yeah, this is Ditch Diggers. We stream, in theory, we stream every Monday at noon, and we talk about the business of writing. Uh, the business. Yeah. I'm Mer Lafferty. I'm an author and podcaster and uh, main host of this show, I guess you could say. And every once in a while, I bring on a very knowledgeable friend, usually more knowledgeable than myself, especially in Alistair's case. Uh, to help me co-host. Alistair, give us your very long CV, but, you know, truncate it a little bit because we don't have all day. Thank you. You're very kind. <laughs> um, I do a lot of stuff. I co-own Escape Artist Podcasts, where Mer is one of our amazing editors on Escape Pod. I co-own it with my partner, Margaret Kenner. We produce five shows, Escape Pod, Pseudopod, Podcast, Lacoste of Wonders, and Catscast. Clues as to what genres they do are all in the names. Uh, I'm also a um, the lead writer on The Full Lid, which Marguerite edits, which is a weekly pop culture fanzine. Uh, I'm also a game designer, uh, pop culture journalist, and voice actor. Shit, that is a lot, actually, when you say it out loud. Sorry. I know, I, I, I know. Yeah, okay, that's, wow. That's, that, that's why I, I told you to truncate it, but you did. You didn't go into, like, details, details, but I'm, I'm delighted to hear you say voice actor with such um, aplomb. Is aplomb the right Thank word? Thank you. Uh, I, I had one of the things that has made my day, actually, was one of my castmates over on Rogue Maker has just posted their, what they call brain cast, the, the actors that they see in the roles for a live action version of Okay. It. And, and the character I play over there, Malachi Tessera, who is a flight attendant and an actual, actual marshmallow, they have brain cast as Rahul Kohli. And as Rahul Kohli is officially one of the people I would like to be when I grow up, I take that as a huge compliment. A real marshmallow? Um, no, but he is okay. lovely. Like, one of the script directions I got for the bonus episode that features him is, Malachi gathers himself with all the strength and optimism of a Studio Ghibli heroine. <laughs> That's nice. I like it. Uh, Premium wants to know when you sleep, Alistair. Between about two and eight. Okay. Um... I I actually have a, also hi Premi how are you? Um, I have a slightly unusual sleep schedule because I was diagnosed with sleep apnea a couple of years ago now, and it was sufficiently bad that I had the level below the level where they don't let you operate machinery. Uh, so I was getting about four hours sleep a night, and it was usually in about forty-five minute chunks. I have a very clear memory of a long period where I would wake up, go stumble into the kitchen, eat a cookie, because obviously eating sugar and carbs when you're having trouble sleeping is what medicine says you should do. Uh -huh. And then going back and sleeping for another 45 minutes. About 18 months ago, I was given I was given a formal diagnosis in a CPAP machine. I now average six hours sleep a night, pretty much straight through. Woot. Weekends, it is seven to eight. And uh, my partner 
has has come to generate this running gag where we'll wake up on Saturday morning and she'll go, how much sleep did you get? And I will say seven and a half hours and I'm about to make it everyone's problem. And she's like, oh, God. You, you know that old West Wing sequence where you know, Josh is yelling about bring, bring him all the finest muffins and bagels in the land? Yes. And Donna walks off going, it's going to be an unbearable day. There is a very strong energy of that to my weekends at the moment. Nice. Nice. Well, you're already a very accomplished person, so once we actually got you enough sleep, you're pretty much unstoppable now, aren't you? I wouldn't go as far as unstoppable, but I can actually... I I've, have relearned your human capacity for joy in hey, the last 18 months, which is nice. You know, I actually found myself a couple of times going, I'm feeling emotions. None of them are cynicism. This is delicious. Excellent. Um... So, yeah, we talk about Ditch Diggers, which we talk about the business of writing, and there's a lot of stuff going on that's making a lot of people mad, and for some reason, I'm just, I'm laughing, and I feel like I'm laughing while Rome burns, because I feel bad for laughing, because people I, I respect and care about are more upset than I am, while I'm just like, it, it's like, you know that, say, stores are racist, and then someone does a study and they find out retail stores are racist. And everyone's like, oh my God. And I usually laugh at that too, because it's like, where have you been? And so I'm just kind of like, yeah, publishing's fucked. Yeah, the, the, the numbers don't make sense. I mean... It sounds, honestly, their economics sound like me trying to do math. <laughs> because, for example, when Numbers Ninja was a Girl Scout, I there, there's always the pressure to be Cookie Mom, which is the person who manages all the cookies for the troop when they sell cookies. And you really want to encourage the girls to sell lots of cookies because it helps finance the troop. So Cookie Mom obviously wants more and more cookies. And one of the first times Numbers Ninja went cookie selling, they sold a lot of cookies. And so the living room was full of cookies. And I remember looking at the sheet that said X person gets these cookies. And I would do the math. It wasn't even math. It was counting. And yet every time I did it, there would always be like, a box or two left over and it would always be a different box depending on when I can it's like I cannot count and they would always be the hey maybe somebody else should be cookie mom this year I'm like you don't want me I will make everything terrible really and it's things like that that make when you hear about for example if anybody's not in publishing or not not selling books and don't know about this, when you hear about, like, New York Times bestseller list, that sounds like they went out and counted all the books that sold that first week. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's book list who counts... I don't even know what book, book list counts, but I know they don't count indie bookstores. So it's like... It, it it counts major bookstores, I think. Probably counts Amazon at this point. But it's like, so the math of how many books have I sold is not even right. 
And yeah, speaking of being held together by spit and twine. <laughs> so um, it's like, I wanted to talk about the Penguin Random House, which, uh, full disclosure, owns Ace, my publisher. So we're, we're talking about the, I was going to say Big Daddy, but that sounds wrong. So I, I, I'm very fond of the John Oliver term of business daddy. Business daddy, yes. yes. That, that's that's much better. Thank you. Um, so this is my business daddy. Just I don't know why that would matter because I'm not going to say a lot of nice things. But anyway, it's there. Um, so Alistair, why don't you tell us what is going on because you have the the clear view of across the pond, and you're also better read than I am. Ah, uh, yes, the clear view from Bigot Island. Splendid. Um, okay, I could, we really need to... There are two stories going on in, at the same time here, and delightfully, they're both equally terrible. Uh, there is the fact that Penguin, Penguin Random House, uh, as I understand it, being sued by the Department of Justice for... I mean, pick something. Antitrust? I believe it's antitrust. Yes, because they and, want to take... Do you remember when that used to be the Big Six... Remember that? That's the big five. Yeah, and they want to make it the big four by yeah, that, eating up that, another major company. Yeah, that one in the end stunt looked real nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that trial is a descent into hell. Uh, I, we, we've got a couple of, of Twitter threads from it, and um, it's very, very clear, and this speaks to what Mo was talking about earlier, that all the things that you expect... All, all the kind of, well, obviously things are that the system is skewed in favor of rich white guys who've already got 35 books under them. Yeah, it absolutely is. Yeah. Um, the the soundbite, which has got a lot of play, and there was some very interesting, there's a very good analysis of this by Sherry, by, uh, Sherry Priest, was um, Tim Penguin Random House. I don't know his name. And frankly, he doesn't deserve to take up that neuron. Uh, straight-facedly saying, well, 100000 bucks isn't that much of an advance. And justifiably, 98% of, of every author on Earth went, I'm sorry? See, this is where I laughed, because I wanted to call my agent and go, great, next advance is a small one. Go for that. Yes. Tell them we want a small advance for my next book. Mer just wants 100000 bucks and yeah. a pony. I mean, yeah. we can we can sign this now. I've brought the papers and the crayon. Let's go. Yeah, fairly small. Fairly small. It's it's just some money. It's not all the money. I mean, do you want to give her all the money? If you do, well, let's talk about that. But it's only some. And yeah. you know, this this is the the first thing that caused a lot of people to justifiably rage puke. The second thing was the point where he was asked what the middleist was and basically said, I don't know. Yeah. So the Middleist, which is where 98% of every author on Earth lives, and which is used as a, both a stick to beat them with and as a destination for people to reach, is a lie. Like money and yeah. calories. You know, it's just, oh yeah, you, you, you're just a Middleist author. Does that mean I'm not James Patterson? Yeah. It doesn't not mean that. So what is basically happening is, you know, Tristan Wichity Grub, Penguin Random House the Third, is is giving evidence 
and the Department of Justice is asking him questions. And he's basically saying, no, mostly I just have money. Yeah. My authors can't. Yeah, they, they, another thing I liked was the um, the questioning was leading to if you acquire another big publisher, that means there will be fewer publishers trying to fighting over books, which means authors will end up with worse deals. And he's like, no, 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 because our editors push for good advances. So, and I'm like, yeah, because you don't tell the editors how much money they have to spend. They're just like, yeah, give them that fairly small advance. I think everybody deserves a fairly small advance. And um, that someone's pointing out that, so you get, you pay like, a large advance for a book does that it does that match the amount of marketing money you put in to sell said book to make back your advance money and he's like no not no and he said he didn't really know how that math worked is something magical we just kind of shove some money at book and money comes back and I'm a CEO, so I'm cool. To, 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 to quote the patron saint of terrified, over-articulate British men, I am good at business. Mm-hmm. I, I'm looking at the Twitter thread now, and there are a couple of choice quotes delivered just under an hour ago. Oh, boy. Uh, Weisberg speaking to the changing face of book biz publicity in the internet era. This is a business of one-to-one, word-to-mouth. It's never been any different. It's just that the devices have changed. Let's move on. We're a certain sized company. This is a business of risk. If you make enough big bets and they fail, you have a problem. So we try to make sure we make the right bets. And coming hot on the heels of that, Weisberg on what happens if a book with a big advance doesn't work out. If you fail on your big bets, that means others are going to have to work to offset that. Now, I'm always very careful with quotes like this to try and be aware of my own privilege and frankly my own class related rage but those quotes when placed together i'm fully admit they may that may not might not be the context in which they were delivered look an awful lot like well really we only care about five aging white guys and they're going to earn all our money for us and if they turn in a shitty book or a book that doesn't sell very well we're just going to punish everybody else I mean, am I misreading that? Because that's what I'm seeing. Nope, 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 nope. That's pretty much it. Um, when, when, yeah, that's. Uh... Oh, oh, also, just to, to follow up on all of that, um, apparently the the Brandon Sanderson Kickstarter has been a constant presence across this case so far. Oh, good, because that is indicative of what we all can do. Absolutely it is. Uh, we are yet, this is from one hour ago again. By the way, this uh, Twitter thread is from uh, John Mayer, not John Mayer of John Mayer's Blues Explosion. Uh, that's John Spencer, sorry. This is John Mayer from Publishers Weekly. Uh, we are yet again talking about Brandon Sanderson's Kickstarter to investigate whether it stands as proof that self-publishing is a major competitor to the big five. Oh my God. Wait, Weisberg on whether Sanderson will ever have the opportunity to publish books with Macmillan in the future Yes, as much as he wants. I'm sure 
every indie pub and small press author out there who reads that goes, fucking great. I'm going to push some stuff out through Kickstarter, and then uh, then McMillan will just bang the door down for me, and it will be fine. Yeah, all right. All right, you guys should be happy. I'm not fiddling while Rome burns anymore. Premi says, I think every uh, quote that comes out of this makes me scream. I missed it, but I'm going to move into a sea cave and write my books on dried kelp. Marketing oh, departments is... just collectively staring into the middle distance. This is an interesting one. By the way, full disclosure, Weisberg, the, the individual giving evidence at the moment, is from Macmillan, not from PRH. So, yeah, Tristram Hiram, PRH the third of the Chicago PRHs, uh, is not presently on the stand. And I okay. will change his name every time I mention him until it's funny. I'll do this. I will do this. No, it is funny. Alistair um, has the best insults of anybody I know. <laughs> he really does. And um, I'm I'm thinking only like 65% of it is because he's British. Um, uh, I stand next to a Californian lawyer a lot. It rubs yeah. off. Uh, You're st- you, still, you still insult a lot faster and off the cuff than anybody I know. Um, Christian Writing wants to know, is this because a lot of people mistakenly believe that publishing is a meritocracy? So if someone, Brandon Sanderson, can do it, so can you. Yeah, basically. That's a really big part of it. Uh, I, I forget who it was, possibly because I want, I, I'm enjoying, as I said previously, the concept of human joy. Therefore, I wanted to try and maintain it. But a relatively major author literally did the, if Brandon Sanderson can do it, so can you, when the Kickstarter hit. And no one pointed out to them, that if this independently wealthy millionaire with a staff of literally 35 people can do this, so can you, individual author, Yeah, was literally what they were saying. Yeah. That's, it's just, if, if just, mm. okay, so, uh, I think I fall a little bit into, assuming everybody has already heard everything I had to say about this, so I'm going to try to sum up, if you don't know, uh, Brandon Sanderson made all the money in the world by doing a Kickstarter by saying, oh, I just accidentally wrote four giant books during the pandemic and I'm selling them to you. And I, um, I, I want to sidebar real quick here because I, I just and I, I don't want to derail you, but it's there's a thing which I saw an awful lot of people talk about when this happened, which was, oh, this is just sour grapes. It's not sour grapes. An awful lot of the very bad feeling that headed this thing's way was entirely because no one in Sanderson's organization sat him down and bluntly went, you know that video where you go, oops, I accidentally wrote four books. Yeah, it's not funny. You actually come across like a dick. Yeah, yeah. So much of this was tone of voice. Yeah. Even if the project itself was very good intentioned. And I'm, I'm being very diplomatic. I got to be honest, I've had an indirect experience of Sanderson and it wasn't especially pleasant, but I have friends who know him and get on really well with him. But and he someone... did do some good stuff on Kickstarter. I heard he like he pushed a lot of, of of programs over it. But I'm sorry, you were saying? He did, absolutely. But the thing which is getting lost, I think, in the fact that, you know, the never-ending war zone that is publishing is that he would have had far less of a public relations issue if he had presented that boldly. I think is the best way I can describe it. If he just, if that video instead of, oh, hello, didn't see you there, was, hi, everyone, 
Brandon here. So I know things are really tough and I know the pandemic has been very stressful and continues to be. And you know what? I've actually dealt with it by writing four books. None of them are under contract, but I'm really proud of all of them. And I want to bring them to you. And here's how. Yeah. And I, I, I know I'm backseat editing and bluntly I don't care because the arrogance and the privilege inherent in the snarky approach, even if it wasn't intentional, pissed off so many people. Yeah. And it's it's the difference between going, yeah, I did this and I'm trying to help. And hey, check me out. And yeah. that's that's it. It's a lesson no one in Sanderson's position learns. It's so depressing. Well, I mean, he made $41 million. Why does he need to learn any lessons? <sighs> joy, uh, I'm attempting to embrace I know, joy. I know, I know. But uh, <laughs> anyway, it made a lot of people angry in part because now people are looking at Kickstarter as this can... The, this can be a viable way to make your living. And self-publishing is super easy all of a sudden. And, you know, without looking at who is Brandon Sanderson, he is already multimillionaire, best-selling author. He sneezes and people will spend money to buy the Kleenex. Um, and he has a staff. He is not a solo guy. So not only is this, you know, writing is his full-time job, but he also has a staff to help him do these things. Most self-published people, as y'all in the chat can attest, you're doing this all your own. And if you're spending money, you're spending it, you're spending your money, and you're taking your time away from writing in order to do all the other work. Most of you have other jobs and or families to deal with. It's just, he is so far of an outlier, he's actually come around the other way. So, it's like, even if you love him and think what he did was great, you still can't deny that it's harmful to small press, self-publishing, indie publishing, it's harmful to everybody in that realm because he suddenly made it look easy. And exactly. so, because he can do it, we all can do it. Well, yeah, we all can do it, but we're not going to get that kind of return. And also, you know, he has been writing and building his audience for decades. You know, it, it's, it's personal smugness aside, he has his very dedicated fandom. I don't have that. And I don't know anybody else who does, except for people like Stephen King, who I think self-published something in the mid-2000s and got mad that it, he didn't get the return he wanted. I could be and, just like... And who also recently took the stand at this very trial. Oh, shit. What did he say? I'm looking it up for you now. Uh... Stephen King testifies that merger between publishing giants would hurt writers. Oh, well, that's good. Yes. Mr. King testified as a witness for the government, which has filed a lawsuit in U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia, aiming to stop the $2.18 billion acquisition. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to try and get... Here we are. Consolidation is bad for competition, Mr. King said. The, um, 
Baum said that when he started in the publishing business in the 1970s, there were hundreds of imprints and he shopped his work around without an agent. The number of publishers has since dwindled, he said, as competing businesses were subsumed or collapsed. With fewer imprints competing for business, advances have slowly dwindled, particularly for writers without a track record of sales. It becomes tougher and tougher for writers to find enough money to live on. There comes a point, he says, if you're very, very fortunate that you can stop following your bank account and start following your heart. And basically, I mean, King, like ever, no one is perfect. And King has said some stuff which isn't great. But the fact that King has shown up and gone, no, this is a system that sustains me and it's awful. Yeah, no, that's is, that's that's classy. It's an act of unabashed courage. Yeah. You compare that to, uh, I believe it was Patterson a couple of months ago, who literally bleated, but what about the white man's? What about the old white guys? What, what books will we get aside from all of them? Ah. <sighs> I need to start getting some really rude things to hold up at times like this. Or a bottle of gin. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, it is good that King said that. I remember a friend of mine said he tried to go to a talk um, about authors and finances. and or I don't remember specifically what it was uh, by Nicholas Sparks. And the talk turned to finances, and as he led with, well, when you make your first million. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've had a version of that. Um, I won't say who it was, because this individual is not with us, but not with us anymore. But one of the first Worldcons I attended, I went to a panel about how to start an anthology, which was run by an author who had put together many, many anthologies. And literally, the first thing they said, was, well, the first thing you do is you get your editor drunk. Or the first thing you do is you find your editor and you get them to give you 10,000 bucks. And yeah, that, the rest of it was about that useful. So if you don't know, an average first advance for a lot of authors is between five and 10,000, I believe. Yeah. And that's from one of the big five, four, whatever the hell they are now. Indies, much smaller, um, if anything. Um, and I've done the math before. I feel like I need to do it every once in a while because everyone still doesn't understand what an advance is. But when you hear, even when you hear a big advance... Even when you hear a six-figure advance, that is not enough to sustain an author's... to replace a day job. And you might think, well, I make $50,000 a year. I would love to have a $100,000 advance. Well, you don't get that all at once. It's, yeah. it's, it's given out over time as different... And it's usually for more than one book. So that's definitely just given out over time as... Uh, you turn in drafts as books hit the shelves and we're talking years. So yeah, a hundred thousand sounds great right now, but hundred thousand over four or five years, not a lot. And exactly. also it's not a hundred thousand because your agent gets 15 and then the government gets, Oh, the government loves self, uh, uh, freelancers. So the government's going to get like 35 or 40%. The agent gets 15. You can just see that number going down and down and down. So I, 
yeah. I, I can to. actually I, I can actually give you the first example of when the logic for this really started to sink in. It was a couple of years ago when Scalzi got his massive, what was it, fourteen book deal at Tor? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, which is I, I mean that that is unprecedented. However, mm-hmm. you cut it. And cards on the table. A lot of how Scalzi presents himself, not the guy, how he presents himself, vastly annoys me. I I I think that the. the there's a lot of that which I look at and go, that works for you. That's how you get through the internet. That frustrates me. I respect what you're doing. Off you go. But one of the posts that he did that really cut through that for me was when you know he started taking flack about the size of the advance. And he did the near impossible thing of being an independently wealthy, rich white dude who went, I absolutely hear why you think this is bad. And on the surface, it does look like it's bad. Here's how this is going to break down for me. And it kicked out to something like a slightly above average wage. Because it's going to be over 15, 16 years. Yeah. It's the same point that Sheree Priest made in in the same thread. And it's the same point you you make here. 100,000 gets you a headline. It doesn't get you a house. And I'm I'm not saying that authors should be paid huge, huge amounts of fuck you money. I'm saying authors should be paid fairly for what they do. And I can count the amount of authors who are on the fingers of the hands of this Wiley Coyote minifigure I'm currently playing with. And he has claws. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, the advances are not... I, I believe if you're making money as an author, you make money um, as... Your book when you earn out and you get a couple of books under your belt and those books keep selling. That Absolutely. when you get your royalties, when you sell your foreign rights, that's magic money. I yep. when the foreign rights for Six Wakes was hot. One time they sold the rights to a translation, made the deal, and got the money to me before ever telling me that. Ah, I they, love that. Yeah, and it's like, and, and again, foreign rights, not a lot of money. But it's, you know, having $4,000 drop into your account, that's fucking amazing. It's like, wow, where'd this come from? Excuse me. I mean, not want to look a gift horse in the mouth, but if it is a mistake and you're going to take it away from me, I better not earmark it for anything. So please tell me where this came from. And they're like, oh, you sold Hungarian rights. I guess they pay up really fast. I mean, that's that's where income money comes from is is foreign rights film and tv rights backlist sales and um preemie sold catalan rights congratulations preemie oh that's badass good job buddy yeah we've all pulled that bank error card of monopoly exactly so um (laughs) you know advances are great don't get me wrong and it's it's a it's an ego hit when your advances go down. I think I think I'm I've never said this before, but I think I'm probably uh <sighs> talking about money is really hard and it's extra hard when you're a woman. Um of course. but I'll tell you what I made on my first 3 books. Um when I got my first deal and they they will sometimes pay more for a new author sort of betting on them. Uh, for Shambling Guide and Ghost Train to New Orleans, I made $15,000 each, um, which meant a third of both on signing, a third of 
each as their final drafts were turned in, and a third when each was uh, published over a period of like three years. Um, they didn't like how that sold. They they were not happy with the sales. The the advance earned out, but um, so yeah, I've never said this. Six weeks. My Hugo and Nebula and Philip K. Dick nominated murder mystery. Um, they reduced my advance to ten, and fully aware that I know people get smaller advances, but taking a thirty percent hit was big to the ego. I'm like, how can you say you want this book when yeah. you don't want it as much as the ones who didn't sell? You literally want this book 30% less than the last ones. Yeah, and, um, you know, I was not happy with it. But um, we decided to go with it because uh, my agent pointed out that I hadn't had, wouldn't have had anything. I would, words are hard. I was going to have had a. Tenses are hard, Alistair. English is hard. It's all your fault. You're and your people and Bigot Island. I, I have no problem accepting every ounce of responsibility. Thank you. Um, basically, by the time Six Wakes was going to come out, it will have been several years without a book. And so if we started from scratch finding a new publisher, it was going to add to that. And so I decided to take the smaller um, advance. And I earned out in four months. And um, it might have been less than four months. It was four months when I checked. I checked my sales and realized I'd already earned out. So that was nice. That, that's the one good thing about low advances is sometimes it's like, wow, you earn out really fast and start, start getting royalties immediately. Um, and then they didn't want a sequel, but that's a different Ditch Diggers, isn't it? Oh, God. Um, but yeah, it's like... Yeah, weird that they pay according to past performance rather than the potential value of the current project. Exactly. Mer, I will take you out for lunch and we will eat cake about it. Yes. Yes. Um, Premies, like, six books, 17 award nominations. Still haven't broken a five-figure advance. Damn, Premie. And, and at least one win, right? Right? That is fucking criminal. So, uh, but dudes, dudes, dudes do good. Dudes, yeah, they much better I'm, chances. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm acutely aware that everything that we're talking about is incredibly depressing because it's incredibly depressing. But the thing we have to look at in and amongst all of this, and it is a crumb of positivity, but nothing more, but it is absolutely there, is that for the first time, I would argue, in living memory, this problem is being talked about. Mm -hmm. That's true. And we, and we know from bitter experience that means almost nothing. But it means something. And you just stepped this, on the one crumb of, of hope you gave me, Alistair. <laughs> if this is a problem that's being talked about and looked at, then that means it's a problem that people are more aware of. Yeah. And if people are more aware of it, then whilst the wheels of justice grind infinitesimally slowly they do grind yeah 
And I, I hate being the guy going, yeah, everything sucks, but it won't suck forever because I've been fed that line of crap my entire fucking life in every conceivable way. Yeah. And the thing I hate about it is it's true. You know, it's... What, that it won't suck forever? That it doesn't... The, the, the process doesn't move faster. Oh, yeah. The process of change yeah. doesn't move faster. I mean, to give you some context, uh, Patterson, who was the where, the, the where are all the books for the white guys, idiot, um, inside about two days went, oh, I'm very sorry. <laughs> um, can, you know, conversely... Wow. And I, I, I won't name names for two reasons. The pleasant one is because I don't want to cause any trouble, and the unpleasant one is because I doubt anyone on this call will have heard of them. Uh, and that's not a slam on you. That's a slam on this author. Uh, the author who very publicly threw his toys at the pram about six months ago because he was told his presence, he hadn't made it onto any panels of the con. And he went full, oh, this is ridiculous. This isn't how things used to be. Pronoun jokes. Pronoun jokes? Oh, yeah. He went full, you know, uh, what are these kids doing these days with their pronouns and their hippity-hop music? And was followed several months later by a prominent UK horror editor. Well, sorry, a formerly prominent UK horror editor doing the exact same thing and calling out the non-binary staff member of Wilcom who emailed him and very politely said that, unfortunately, there wasn't a... Yeah, the panels which he had asked for would, had been full, but they thanked him very much for their time. He kicked off about this. Wow. And, you know, the same usual five people, none of them under the age of 50, with apologies to anyone on this call who knows nice people over 50, like I do, um, all did their British version of, tell them, Steve, Dave, you know, and then when a couple of people went, fuck are you doing? He literally said, oh, it's just a joke. Mm. No, it's not. Just you can't do that. I mean, if 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 you want to really derail stuff onto this, you want to talk about the deep-seated psychic damage Ricky fucking Gervais has inflicted on this country. It is the the absolute onslaught of crushingly mediocre white men who he has convinced can say awful, awful, hurtful shit and then go, oh, it's just joking. It's just me. And that's how that extrudes down into publishing. And I hate it. I hate all of it. I hate that we have to share this space with these failures of humans, these to borrow a line from Aaron Sorkin, who isn't exactly an angel himself, these tiny fractions of men. But infinitesimally slowly, we are start as an industry, we are starting to realize there are massive problems. And infinitesimally slowly, we are starting to address them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so let's 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 look at action items. What can we do? I have no idea. Alistair, you're usually good at this. Oh yeah, I, I have I have like three or four three or four for you. The first one is going to sound very counterintuitive, and it's this. Um, I learned this because of my parents. Uh, I love my parents. They are amazing human beings, and they watch BBC News, twenty four hour news channel. 15 hours a day. And I know from bitter experience of actually having been in their house for more than three hours at a time, this is a very small country. Even during a period where a lot's happening, like is currently the case, there's 90 minutes of news 
here any given day. And there's a reasonable chance that at least five minutes of it will be sheep lost in field or person wins award. And yet <laughs> they endlessly cycle through on this stuff. In terms of action items, what that boils down to is this. Don't be near this stuff all the time. And it is so tempting. It feels compulsory. The the example I use, and this is pretty much the only Game of Thrones thing I will ever give house room to, is the idea of the Black Watch. The idea that you always have to be on watch. You always have to be on guard. You don't. Everyone is looking at this stuff. Everyone is dealing with it as it heads towards them. You aren't required on the line all the time. In fact, you are required to not be on the line all the time. Step away. Mute words if you have to. I've done this very recently with UK politics. Uh, there was a period, and I don't, we literally don't have the time in the remaining hours of the day to discuss how awful this situation is. But we are currently in the middle of a leadership campaign in this country for which publicly, publicly ed educated bigot is going to maul us psychologically and physically for the next four years. And initially there was 14 people or something in the running for this. And my Twitter timeline got to the point where all the news folks I follow were talking about this. And about one person in three was retweeting one of these terrible, terrible humans to dunk on them. And I totally understand the catharsis in that. But when it is upwards of 40% of your social media experience, it gets irksome. Yeah. So I muted every single one of the names. I muted their names, I muted 10 Downing Street, I muted a couple of newspapers. And instantly, my Twitter feed dropped from horrifying to simply bad. And I would heartily recommend vigorously and enthusiastically curating your level of engagement as a primary survival tool. So that's the first one. Uh, the second one is the future is not, despite what anybody is trying to tell you, in Penguin Random House or Macmillan or whichever corporate Zaibatsu all of them ultimately form into. And we can only hope leave the planet to go punch some alien megacorp in a kaiju-style Voltron throwdown. Woo! The future is small. The future is independent. The future is renewable. The future is homemade. A lot of my day job at the moment is dealing with research into recycling and um, renewable energy and all that kind of stuff. That cultural mindset that can I use this on this level? Can I do this in a manner which is scaled responsibly? That is going to be the wave that breaks across the planet at some point in the next 10 years. And in publishing, that is going to be the realization that you don't, if the chances of scaling the, for, the walls of the fortress of the big two, as they will probably be by that point, is so small, don't scale the walls, go somewhere else, build an audience small and keep doing it. And I know about a third of the people listening to this right now are going, fuck you, that's impossible. I know this because I have been those people. Six years ago, I was miserable creatively. Uh, I was doing minimum wage and lower pop culture journalism for sites that couldn't give a shit about me. Um, ironically, the one site that genuinely really liked me has never been able to pay me and I still write for them now. They're the only one. I expressed the fact that I was creatively unfulfilled to my partner. I, and the moment I realized this was when I was coming home on an 11 o'clock train, which was two carriages with five carriages worth of people in it from a play which I had had to pay for my own ticket for 
pay for my own transport to, and which I was going to be paid £10 for writing about, which was half the price of my ticket. And Marguerite said, you know what? You need to set up your own voice. You need to set up somewhere which is just your platform for you. And I was like, that's, that's impossible. I can't do it. Six years later, my newsletter is on its second Hugo nomination. And I don't, I don't say that as a fuck you. I don't say that as a gotcha. I say that in an effort to roll the rope ladder down the mountain behind me. And I am barely off the fucking ground myself, but I have made some progress. It can be done. I promise. Third thing, um, further to supporting independence. I'm going to drop a website in the chat for Mer which hopefully it will work and she can drop in the show notes. This is specifically for US bookstores. It is for an independent bookstore finder. Because like I say, the future is small and the future is sustainable. If you're an author, you build your audience through individual bookshops. If you're a reader, you order your books from individual bookshops and you are okay with the fact that it might take a little bit longer. By the way, we don't have time to cover this, but right now Waterstones, which is the primary bookshop um, chain in the UK, has functionally not ordered new stock for six weeks. Uh, this is because they are stepping over to a new warehousing platform. Booksellers are being abused by customers. Customers are being charged for books they haven't received. The company is off the record telling people to just use it as an excuse to push back stock. This is an industry that does not care about you. And I don't say that in a storm the barricades kind of way, tempting as it is, and I'm sure someone will be along to say to do that in a moment. I say that in probably my last point of action, which is manage your expectations. And I don't mean embrace disappointment. I don't mean think smaller. I mean think cleverer and think kinder. Work out what you're doing that can help you. Not your publisher, not your editor, not your agent. Help you. Yeah. And then help the people around you. Can you do a signing at a local bookstore? Is there an indie press near you? Do you have the capacity to start a newsletter or something like that? I know enough creatives to know we all have that tank that never stops filling in us. And it's got to come out. The secret now, from my point of view, is not to work out how to get it out in a way where you know you get your TV appearances and you get your book in a, a window at Waterstones. The secret is to get it to come out in a way which matters, in a way which is your own personal voice, which can help you and help those around you. Because none of the problems that which, which we face can be solved individually, but every single one of those problems is made of problems that can be. Work your career the way you want to work it. Don't be a dick build hold the door open for other people yeah don't stop moving and don't take any shit because no one at the organizational level in this field and by this field i mean publishers magazine publishers trade press all of these folks no one is able to perceive you as an individual and the big five or the big two or you know tristram wichity grub penguin random house whoever the hell it's not that they, they don't care about you. It's that they don't understand you exist, let alone to care about you. Yeah. Stop caring about them. Do what you need to do and take other people with you. That's kind of what I got. All right. That's good. I like it. Cool. 
Thank you, Alistair. Um, kids Are Asleep Thank is you. very sweet to not let me show my email to everybody on the stream, which is what would have happened had I gone to my email and uh, <laughs> tried to grab a, U a URL. So uh, I, I begged Kids Are Asleep to post it. There's a Station Eternity giveaway at Goodreads again. Um, that is in the chat now. Uh, Alistair, you are always good for terrible insults to people and hope and i love having you on this show because you give both very eloquently and helpfully and thank um, you so much i mean there's there's a reason why your you know your your newsletter has gotten so much accolades and um it's because you're amazing and uh likewise buddy thank you I'm, I always love having you on because you do give hope because things just feel really dark right now. And, and yes, I was joking that I was uh, fiddling while Rome burned, but a lot of it's just sitting down and going, well, there's nothing else I can do, so I'll just laugh, and uh, which isn't the, very helpful the, either. The, the moment I think of a lot, I, I identify tremendously with the MCU version of Bruce Banner. Um, and the moment I find myself thinking of an awful lot is in the first Avengers movie where he meets Cap and has that line about, line about you know, so are we going to be in a submarine? Because I feel like it would be bad if they put me in a submarine. And then the rotors fire up and the helicarrier takes off. And just the way Bruce chuckles, he goes, oh, this is much worse. Just it that feels like a, a solid vibe for a lot of publishing right now. Like, have we made the worst choice? Yeah. Cool. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Good times. Um, yeah. Just, but you know, guys, giving up is not, it, it is an option. I mean, I'm not going to put anybody down for making that decision for themselves in a healthy manner. Some people just decide it's not for them. But uh, letting them beat you is not you can't that's a yeah. you shouldn't let that happen um that that's a really important linguistic distinction you are the only i i know a lot of very chest pounding authors who would argue this point you are the only person you're competing with yeah and if if you're only going on because you're like i'm gonna fucking show them don't work out what you need to do and do it. I had a conversation with a friend earlier today who has been working flat out on a short story for three weeks and they explained it to me. And I said, it sounds like you're not having very much fun. And they said, not really. And I said, do you need me to give you permission to write something else? And there was this long, long silence on the other end of the line followed by, yes, please. I give you permission to write something else. Thank you. Oh my God. You know, learn we are systemically just devalued by the industry that we operate in. Don't listen to it. Learn to listen, to hear, to feel what you need to feel and then do that. Yeah. That is excellent. Um, Alistair, remind us where to find you. Um, I'm going to put your link in the chat, I hope. We'll see if the bot agrees. And uh, there we go. Hooray! Um, the best place to start with me is probably alistairstewart.com, my homepage. Um, that's in the process of a pretty chunky reboot at the moment. You can't see any of it. We're building it off-site, but it's going to roll out really soon. 
Uh, that's going to have all the details for the full lid, the pop culture newsletter that I write and Marguerite edits, details of the Escape Artist podcast, which you can also find at eapodcasts.net, I believe, uh, if you want to take a look at those, and also my voice acting. Um, failing all of that, I can be found on Twitter at Alistair Stewart, which is spelled the way you don't think it's spelled. Um, <laughs> which is S-D as in Derek, A-I-R-S-T-U-A-R-T. And uh, I'm Mer Lafferty, and you can find me at mightymer at gmail.com, and, uh, which is where you email me. That's not a website. Merverse.com is where that lives, and uh, I stream on Twitch Mondays at noon usually, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. And um, my book, Station Eternity, is coming out in October, and U.S. readers may be, will be able to enter into a chance to win on Goodreads, as uh, Kids Are Asleep just posted. And, um, yeah, I, I, we do Ditch Diggers every Monday, and I have a rotating group of guest stars, and Alistair joins me from time to time and always is uh, such a valued member um thank you alistair you're awesome everybody in chat wants to be your friend Aww. Um, alistair is officially my electric monk because he believes in me when i can't <laughs> um it's a obscure douglas adams reference to long dark tea time of the soul i never i never remember which one is it's, which it's either long dark tea time or holistic detective agency well, yeah but those are the only two <laughs> Oh, yeah, because Salmon of Doubt was, is kind of three-quarters of a book. Yeah, um, so anyway, uh, Alistair, it, 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 it brings the concept of the electric monk because dishwashers are electric things that wash dishes for you and electric monks are electric things that, that believe for you. And so when I can't believe in myself, Alistair kind of hits me on the side of the head metaphorically and says, all right, I'll, 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 I'll take care of it. I'll believe for you and then you go do the work and then... You'll find out I'm right. And then he really, really likes to gloat when good things happen to me. I am unbearable. He is. He's terrible. I, I, you know, I wallow. <laughs> Alistair, you're one of the best people I know. Thank you so much. Oh, um, thanks, buddy. Likewise. This podcast was produced under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Music provided by Devo Spice. DevoSpice.com Ditch Diggers! This is a free podcast brought to you by the kindness of our patrons. If you would like to also be kind and a patron, go to patreon.com slash mightymurr.